This is the Talk Theater in Chicago interview podcast. I'm your host this week, Ann Nicholson-Weber. And today I'm joined by four members of the New Colony Company, uh, Andy Hopgood, who is the artistic director, Will Cavito, um, who is one of the co-writers of the show we're going to be talking about, Benno Nelson, um, one of the Theater in Chicago guys and also co-writer on this show, and then Henry Riggs, who is the music director. So we're here to talk about the show currently running at New Colony, which is called That Sorted Little Story, and it is characterized as an American folk epic. Uh, it's a play with bluegrass music or a concert with a story or something in between. And um, what I wanted to talk about, because the New Colony has a very unusual process, this is a new work, it was created by the guys in the room and a few others, um, and uh, I thought maybe the way to, to try to get at how you made this piece happen is just kind of start at the beginning, and I believe, Andy, that would be you. Yeah, actually, uh, the original concept for the show uh, was scribbled down in a notebook of mine uh, back, uh, I think, 2004, 2005, uh, at like 3 in the morning. And uh, Good to write those things down so they can have another <laughs> life five years later, and right? Was, yeah, luckily, <laughs> though I don't know where the notebook is, uh, but at least, it, but it, it obviously was, it was an idea that if it's, if I remembered it outside of the notebook, then it was at least something worth pursuing, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but very, very purely, it was, the idea was just, uh, I thought it would be interesting if, uh, because if, if concept albums tell the story of some character i just thought it would be interesting what if that character knew that they were the subject of a concept album and uh and i wrote down the title that sort of little story and i wrote down that uh i wanted it to be a folk and bluegrass concept album and i knew that i wanted it to take place in the 60s in the south and that was literally all i wrote down Mm -hmm five or six years ago until what was it when when um i don't remember when will and i talked about this it was last summer actually i Good think Lord. um <laughs> when we were working on tupperware and oh, american yeah. musical okay. fable yeah you're right okay yeah and so i it was um when we were working on tupperware and um and there was traction getting along and people were really interested in were fascinated by the idea that we were creating a new musical and when i uh, i was talking to um uh, James Asmus, who's one of our founders with me, and he, he was one of the co-writers on Tupperware, and I told him the idea, and, and I said, you know, I think that if there's ever the opportunity to do this show, I think that it's right now with this group of people, and then I think on my iPhone, I, <laughs> I emailed Will Cavito <laughs> right after that because it was easier than trying to remember to call him, <laughs> and I think that's how it started. And you said, so Will, do you want to write this with me? Or Yeah, and and really, uh, I mean, uh, what I did is I sort of gave Will a very, very brief concept, um, and we were thinking, we were already thinking in terms of, you know, playing on Greek epic Con, uh, concepts and design, um, and so he uh, he was the one that really shaped the story that you see on stage uh, structurally. Let me. I realized that you know, I said we should maybe um, do this chronologically, and I think I started too late because actually <laughs> our listeners may not know much about New Colony, and I feel like maybe a quick 
sketch of how your company started and what your goal was may elucidate some of what you're going to say about this particular play. Uh, uh, the, the real quick and dirty of how the new economy came to be was, uh, it was, uh, uh, let's see, it was me, um, Tay Lux, Michael Peters, Evan Linder, James Asmus, uh, and Gary Tiedemann. And, uh, we all had pretty much been having conversations about, uh, the fact that it was really depressing to be, uh, a theater, uh, somebody whose career was to be in theater and reading reports about how theater audiences were, uh, dwindling slash, uh, literally dying. Um, and, and we also just started having conversations about how frustrating it was that we were in theater. The number of times that I said, I've used the phrase, uh, I'm a theater director who absolutely hates theater. Um, it, it just felt like there was, there was so little coming out in the theater industry that was even in, inspiring to the six of us. So we, we decided that if, if we had any hope of having careers uh, in the field that we'd spent the, mo- the majority of our lives pursuing, then, uh, then we needed to actively start trying to create the kind of theater that would build a new, uh, support base for the arts, uh, made out of people under the age of 40 predominantly who, uh, when you look at the statistics, are the ones who are attending theater the least. Mm -hmm. And so he said, well, I mean, that's who we need to go after, so let's let's, uh, start creating theater that matters to them and speaks to them. And um, and through that, we decided to use a process that uh, I had started tinkering with when I was at the University of Massachusetts in Amherst and brought to Chicago and James and I used it to write our musical Love is Dead, a necromantic musical comedy. And it ended up actually succeeding. And we said, well, if we're going to create this new theater company and you know we need to do something that'll be different than everybody else, so let's use a process that nobody else uses mm-hmm. and let's see what we can do. And can you, I mean, to say we're going to make stuff for a younger audience doesn't tell me a lot. So what do you think you do that makes it for a younger audience? This this process may be the answer, but is there more to it? Uh, well, uh, yeah. Well, the, the process ended up being the best way to reach that goal, which was um, we found that we found that these audiences – uh, because one of the things we did was we actually I started interviewing people and just asking questions and saying why you know I would go up to somebody and say why do you not see theater what is it and and typically the response was it's boring which I kept thinking well I'm actually tremendously bored when I see theater so I think I agree with you um, and so I started also asking why is it boring what is it that bores you about it and they're saying you know it's it's just there's not a lot of action there's not a lot to take in. Um, it seems like you're just sitting there watching people talk. So, uh, so what we what we realized was that um, to com- to to essentially compete for their attention would mean we would have to be generating more than what you typically 
receive when you see a play or a musical. And so what it meant was we had to be developing highly dynamic characters. They needed to be uh, uh, also this, you know, the, this generation of under 40 is a generation that has grown up on reality TV. So the ability to see a character and say, I know that person or I am that person or I want to know that person or I hate that person uh, is of value. So so our process focuses first on developing the characters to a point where we know our audience will be highly in touch with them. Uh, then we found that the story had to be multi-layered uh, in complexities because uh, this audience really demands to be um, intellectually challenged. And it was funny because one of the first things, one of the first uh, accusations we received was that uh, by saying we were creating theater for a new generation, uh, I had a lot of people accuse me of saying that we were going to dumb down theater. And I said, it's actually quite the opposite. I think that theater is almost too dumb for this new generation because it's a generation that can text while listening to their iPod, while checking their email with a Gmail in the bottom corner, and they're watching the newscast uh, and they're receiving, you know, they're receiving uh, updates on one of their iPod apps. And they're knitting. And they're knitting. <laughs> and so it's, and, and so we had to be able to, we had to be able to entertain all of the layers that these new brains operate on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why, uh, music is a huge part of our shows. The ability to have music running while you're seeing, uh, interesting, highly active dialogue with dynamic characters. And uh, if you watch our shows, there's a lot of peripheral and ancillary uh, action happening that merely heightens the world and keeps the audience engaged so that, you know, it's not, you know, you won't necessarily just see, even if it's a two-person scene where it's just two characters talking, very rarely will you see us have a two-person scene where there isn't a whole lot of other stuff happening. Mm-hmm. Because <laughs> what we find is it doesn't distract the audience. It actually heightens their awareness. And so I think that's one of the reasons why Sorted, I think, is probably the culmination of the New Colonies concept. Mm-hmm. If I could jump in on like a sub-intellectual Please. level, something like a feeling as I do as kind of um, at once like an insider and an outsider of the New Colony, I think that like... Something that's interesting to me about the process and about the product um, is that Chicago actually has two pretty separate worlds, one of like improv and stand-up and one of theater. And something that I find fascinating about the New Colonies colonists is how many of them are actually from the improv world Mm -hmm. and that the way that, um, that the New Colony accesses and exploits that knowledge base to make non-improvised theater um, is something that I think adds to a kind of looseness that a lot of people pick up on Mm -hmm. in terms of a sort of people. I know when people talk about like kind of like party atmosphere or something, I don't know. I feel like that's like a buzzword that a lot of, a lot of people are are talking about, but like there's just, um, there's a kind of, uh, yeah, I think it's that, that like sort of blending of the, the boxes of, of improv and theater that I think is something that's that's fun to me about. about well, let, well, why don't we take to kind of demonstrate the stuff that Andy yeah. and Bano have talked about in mm-hmm. a sort of almost, well, not abstract, but, you know, kind of high <laughs> level level. Um, talk about, so you get this concept um, and now you're going to do it in the new colony style, whatever that is. Right. So what do you do? Um, well, uh, yeah, last summer Andy delivered to me basically what was the backstory for that sort of little story. Um, he had the story of a waitress in Texas who uh, had this 
one night of passion with a man and ended up with child after that uh, and uh, just had to take off. Did he say it was passion? Yes. (laughs) I don't know. Somebody said it was passion. Um, And so uh, this child grew up not knowing who his father was and never getting the straight story from his mother. This is your story, right? Or is uh, this, this what is Andy gave Andy's you already? Story. Okay. Yeah. okay. <clears throat> uh, and uh, very little of this actually ended up in the play uh, because what he wanted me to do was expand uh, this, the story of the child. After he had grown up, right after his 21st birthday, he hears this band um, <clears throat> playing on the radio and he believes that this is the story of how he was born. And since they know that, they must know who his father is. And that's what Andy gave me. Um, <clears throat> and saying, uh, expand this and find the story of his journey trying to find this band who may know who his father is. And when you said, Andy, you talked about, um, I think, Greek Mm-hmm. Did you say Greek yeah. influences? So, yeah. so we're going to be talking about. We're going to. You knew you were going to be writing in sort of an epic yes. form, the journey. <clears throat> um, yeah, one of his, one of Andy's requirements was this should be reflective of uh, the ancient Greek theater traditions of uh, epic characters mm-hmm. and and stories that were driven along by fate or some sort of outside hand more so than the decisions of the characters themselves. Um, so we're already, just let me interrupt for one second, we're already in a very interesting situation, very unusual situation, which is, or at least in the theater, not actually in maybe television, where where a writer is given a story to write. This is not your story. More typically, a playwright would conceive the whole thing, conceive the story, write the story. So is that, I mean, did you, had you written plays of your own? How did you get tagged the writer for this? Uh, well, I had written short plays in college and uh, we were still in the process of writing uh, last summer's musical, uh, Tupperware. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so that was really my first foray into, uh, I guess you would call it professional writing mm-hmm. for the theater. Um, <clears throat> so I had some limited experience, but I don't know. I guess Andy has seen in me the gift of uh, collaborative imagination Yeah. Um, to where I can pick up a story and then f- finish that story in the same vein as the way it began. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the interesting thing was, and and I think it was, it was probably more, I would say that this writing process was more of an experiment than others have been for us. But, you know, the idea that, you know, there was the thing that interested me and with the trying to get our audiences, you know, uh, trying to figure out what would hook our audiences, you know, I had this idea, I passed it to Will, who then, I mean, ultimately, he was going to, when he wrote his version of the story, he would end up keeping the things that mattered to him and then adding the things that he thought would be more exciting or removing things that were not necessarily by choice, but just, you know, omission because they weren't as interesting. And so purely that ex- that one step of collaboration already started fusing, you know, any audience members who were interested in what I liked mm-hmm. and any audience members who were interested in what he liked were now going to be put in the same group. Mm-hmm. So we'd already doubled right. a group of people right. purely by that act. So, so this first draft you just wrote, right? You just sat down at a word processor and wrote. Um, yes, and it was actually 
uh, easy because it was a, about a three-page treatment mm-hmm. for the just the story of the play. Because um, we're not talking about, about dialogue, yeah, right? right? Yeah, we're not okay. even, not even yet. <laughs> writing right. a so script still at this story. point. Yes. Uh, so I expanded the story to, uh, to be this uh, this young man's journey through the South trying to find his uh, his roots. Were you thinking about the music and the role the music would play as you were doing that, or were you just making a story? I guess I had the music in the back of my mind as uh, sort of a, a writer's cheat in that in a musical you can you can cram a lot of exposition into a two-minute song that would take a six-minute scene to, to show on stage and would be pretty boring. Right. <clears throat> so now you have a treatment, you're calling it, or a story? Or, so yes. now what? Then what happens? Uh, that's basically what we start with in the new colony process. We have a treatment which tells... Uh, the main story, and then all the major characters in that story. Right. Well, why don't, to, to make this more visualizable for me, mm-hmm. um, we've got the treatment now. It's a rehearsal. Who's there? Is it just, for instance, to take act two? Is it just the two actors, the three actors who are going to be central? Is it the whole cast? What's the task you give them? How, well, the, how does the rehearsal go? Well, the first, because we start with the workshops, which is we took that, we give the entire cast that outline, and then we get them all in the room. And then we, uh, one by one, we have each actor get up and we dedicate somewhere between half an hour and an hour to having these actors just, uh, you know, the first thing we do is we say, all right, based on this outline, just brain dump for us. What are all of the things that you're thinking about? And, and for each character, I probably have about five or six pages of notes of just their brain dumps. Just let me be clear. Is Do the cast know who they're playing? Yes. Okay. So that's at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Each, mm-hmm. each yeah. cast member owns a character. They know their yeah. character and they know the basic outline. of. They know the yeah. treatment of the and they know what the, And they know how their character functionally affects the story. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't necessarily tell them who they are. Um, and, and so then we let the actors, the actors actually develop their characters and then the writers. So these workshops happen and then the writers and the director and the creative team basically take all, you know, so we spend about a month working, developing characters, developing the relationships and just using improvisation to have them, you know, so, uh, so, uh, I mean, uh, Duvall's phone call that he made in, um, uh, at the top of uh, Acts 3 is actually uh, a phone call that Jack McCabe improvised. And it was just interesting. So we just we just wrote the whole thing Someone, down. Someone's literally transcribing yeah. in the, yeah, in the rehearsals. Like, uh, the entire time they're improvising. We videotape them. Uh, we write down like lines, uh, any, any lines that really hit, you know, hit the writers or the director or anything. And then uh, we basically walk away with that and we, we start... You know, so then we took all of the information that came from Gary and Aron about Act Two, and we said, "All right, so we basically have to really think about totally rewriting the entire story for Act Two. Um, and so that's an example of how the two actors who were in it created something that we thought was more interesting and exciting than our original idea. Mm-hmm. So we were completely willing to just say, "All right, throw that out, and let's start with what they have." And so Act Two is pretty much rewritten based on uh, the improvisations of Gary and Aron. And we knew, and, and we could take the original concept of why we had Act Two in there. 
and preserve that. But the story, the arc of it was completely... The how you get there. So so I just, let me just do it step by step. So you've Please. done the month of workshops, and mm-hmm. out of that now comes a new script that Will has written. That's where we start the first oh, okay. draft. Gotcha. And, and that was also... Um, that was the first time that we were able to actually give Henry and the band uh, basically an outline and say, this is actually what will happen in the show. <laughs> these are the moments that you that we would like songs to be written about, or these are the characters. What but month so, are we in, by the way? Uh, this would have been, uh, uh, let's say, I think we were at the end of March. I think it was March 29th. Yeah, was Passover when we, was the... Yeah, right. <laughs> wow. Um, so we... Uh, so the end of March was when we got out of the workshops. We gave the band everything. We had been able to, over the course of that month, give the band at least small pieces um, of information that they could start writing um, because they presented four songs of the DCA uh, as well um, so that we could get audience feedback about what they thought of like the style of music, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's another part of our process. Whoa, too. whoa! Are you saying there were audiences at the workshop? Uh, our process is uh, we actually our process is completely open, and we we actively pursue getting our audiences to feel a part of the collaborative process as mm-hmm. well. So yeah, so at the end of March, we had I think we had seventy five people at the presentation, is what Nate told me. Where we had seventy five people come in. We showed them the character workshop that had been done. We showed them four scenes that the actors had not even really seen yet. Uh, so the <laughs> that Will wrote so, the night before. Or yeah, so the audience, <laughs> the, audience, yeah. the audience basically got to see first reads of four scenes. They also mm-hmm. got to be the first time to hear four songs that I hadn't even heard of. <laughs> um, and we basically just threw all this out there to 75 people, half of which were followers of ours and half of which were just random people who showed up because it was public. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we spent about an hour afterwards letting them just tell us what they thought, what they liked. And a lot of the feedback ended up affecting the story. I mean, the entire ending of the play ended up uh, being uh, happening the way it does, uh, which I guess I shouldn't say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, when you see the show, you'll understand. Um, this, this, but, whole, this is the, the schedule is making me hyperventilate. It's just, oh, it's I want to be really clear. This is March, <laughs> yeah, and you're opening March. in July. 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 So, so April, in, May, June, and you <laughs> don't I mean you have kind of a first draft script and four songs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I remember, and a lot of publicity even, about your we didn't opening. Even have a first draft up. script. We yeah. just had four scenes. <laughs> yeah, four scenes. Four scenes. I, mean, I remember. <laughs> I remember how scared I was because I said. I agreed to be part of the thing. This has been out. I agreed to be part of the thing. In, in <laughs> Please the, declare this. In the fall. Um, and then I show up. Uh, I, I take a break from, from the, like, tech week that I was in for, for a different show. And I come on Passover to see this, um, to see the reading. And I see that, like, my name is on it. <laughs> and I, like, had a heart attack. I was like, I haven't done anything. I'm the worst writer in the world. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to this this play reading. They're like, what play? This play I wrote. (laughs) (laughs) Excited to see how it is. Apparently. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So that was really – it was – I mean, I felt the panic then. Mm -hmm. And then it was really lovely because, I mean, the idea of the sobriety of of collaborating on a project with a serious and a committed opening time is something that I think – is is just like shockingly rare for uh, for early career professionals. You know, like right. Tony mm-hmm. Kushner can get a deal to like write a new play yeah. to open at you know whatever whenever he wants. But that's something that 
Will and I would just never, ever have. Right. Yeah, that seems both terrifying and probably very... Um, Oh, what's the word well, I want? It's highly exhilarating. It's highly, yeah, exhilarating. Yeah. It's highly <laughs> motivating. motivating. Make yes. motivating, right? Yeah. Make yeah. stuff yeah. happen. It was amazing. Yeah. Well, I, I definitely want to talk about the music mm-hmm. because for me, experiencing the show, it was a huge part of it, and the the quality Good. of the music <laughs> and the quality of the band were both really, um, as I say, kind of key to how much I enjoyed it. And Henry. My understanding is you were not a band already. Is that right or wrong? No, I mean, we were just put together for the show, for the project. Um, my roommate and I, uh, Chris, we have been playing music for years and years. So we had already... Tell them for how long, though, since, that's interesting. Uh, Chris and I have known each other since seventh grade. Oh, and wow. And have just been playing music, just kind of silly, offhanded songs. Never anything too serious, never took ourselves too seriously. And do you um, write in your own stuff? Do you write in this idiom, bluegrass uh, kind of stuff? No, really. We have a really bizarre group called Butterscotch on the Rocks, and it is um, fits into the New Colony style pretty well, actually. We write all of our music through improvisation, and we record our, our improvised songs, and then we go back and learn what we did. So usually in those, there's mm-hmm. ultimately right. no focus at all. It's just... <laughs> completely absurd and you know whatever genre it starts to sound like we ham it up and we go with that genre and we basically lampoon the genre Mm -hmm. so uh when andy came to me i guess it was uh that same time summer 09 basically like uh, i want you to write a a bluegrass album like oh that sounds pretty fun Mm -hmm. uh we'll stay in between the lines here and try to keep (laughs) some focus um so i i threw together a song there was like a andy needed like a demo or something for a for a proposal, and so the title track of the show came together from just like a paragraph blurb mm. about the show, and then uh, we went from there, just building songs in that sort of that style. Uh, I asked a lot of questions, like, "What does it need to sound like? What does it need to feel like?" at at different parts. Each song you're talking mm-hmm. about. Each song yeah. and, and each part of the show, uh, which it, it, it was difficult at first because as it's being built. You know, nobody really knows what it needs to sound like yet. So the idea was just, okay, let's throw a bunch of country-sounding songs into a pile, and we'll <laughs> we'll select them out as they need to fit into the show. Um, uh, we had something like 24 songs, ultimately, that we had in a bank to choose from, and we ended up using 14 of those. Actually, we ended up using 12, and then writing and then to write two additional more. ones. Uh, about a week before the show, <laughs> yeah, uh, and um, and so it was it was great because uh, Chris and I had had sat down and and kind of figured out what we wanted some things to sound like for a while, and then we brought on Tara and Taya, and so it was the four of us writing for a while. And how did you know them, or how did someone know uh, them? They're company members yeah, as well, and, um, members. Mm-hmm. and so they they were on board with the project because they played music as well. Um, Nice. It's basically like, who plays an instrument? Who yeah. wants to be in this band? <laughs> uh, okay, great. Let's do it. Does any one of you love or really know bluegrass and country music? I mean, I have never been a fan of country music, but I always um, really enjoy like the presentation and style of bluegrass. Mm-hmm. Um, I was raised in Charleston, South Carolina, and so there was a, a healthy dose of that down there. And, of course, you know, friends' bands are just, you know, family events where that, that stuff will be there. And it's just a ton of fun. Um, but it, it ultimately did come down to doing a lot of research about, 
not only the time period, but the style of music, um, just because it wasn't a strong suit of any of ours. So you just went and listened to stuff. Right. And said, okay, that's Actually, the kind of stuff we're going to I would say Taylor Lux, among everybody else, was the most uh, folk influenced yeah. and had, had the biggest background with folk music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she almost maybe kept us in line. There was a lot of, we were talking about this the other night, there was a lot of talks about like, oh, does this sound like the period? I don't know if we're modernizing this a little too much. We, we kind of thought really heavily on that. Um, but ultimately, early on in the process, I asked Andy and Will both to make me a CD of what they wanted it to sound like and groups that they wanted to pay homage to through the mm-hmm. show. Mm-hmm. And so basically, I took those CDs and listened to that and started just researching, you know, groups of the times and a lot of YouTube research and, and stuff like that and trying to soak in all the sounds and styles and ultimately finding that uh, folk and bluegrass and country are really just a similar song pattern mm-hmm. it's like three chords and they the, the story is a lot clearer and the music is catchy but ultimately you know you can pick out any artist of that time and their hits are all the chords of c g f c <laughs> you know, it's the same thing across the board but they're all so unique because of the stories they tell and the way they sound mm-hmm. um and so so was like, who was the, who wrote the lyrics? You guys were writing. We all the collaborated list. on the uh-huh. lyrics. So it, it was uh, the new colony process came in in a really unique way for music on this show. Um, we all being the band. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So uh, basically, kind of the way we ran it is if somebody had the concept or the idea for the initial song, or if they had the chords or or how the melody wanted to sound, they'd throw it in the pile and say something. Okay, well, I want it to sound like this. Do 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 do. And somebody would go, okay, well, I, I got some ideas for the lyrics. Or if it's going at this part in the story, mm-hmm. then I can work on some lyrics for that. And then we all sort of, lyrics were always tweaked and everybody had a say. So once the song went into the pile, it was, you know, public domain and everybody could change it and, mm-hmm. and have a, ideas about it. And uh, it ended up being really great because we all, we all worked really well together. And so the song's really found their voice through all four of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you were kind of in a different room most of the time, the band. Wow. You, you would bring... When literally. Did, when did, literally. Yeah, literally. Yeah, probably even bathroom. a different, <laughs> different yeah. location for a while. Um, <laughs> the goal is sort of like, uh, as we were talking about earlier, the sort of like heart-wrenching part of, of the whole process and the most rewarding part is that, you know, we could just we don't know exactly how it's going to fit together. Mm-hmm. So the goal was initially just like, okay, write as much songs, write more songs than we need. Mm-hmm. Generate bunch, a bunch of the material. Generate so much mm-hmm. that whenever they say, oh, we need, we need this to sound like this, you know, this needs to be a more melancholy tune or this needs to be, uh, this needs to be more exciting. Um, mm-hmm. we can be like, oh, okay, well that'll fit. And then we'll mm-hmm. tweak lyrics mm-hmm. that way. Mm-hmm. And then it just became a really fun, uh, Really fast, like two weeks before the show, yeah, start where, puzzling where we puzzle pieced the whole thing together. And, it, uh, the, the 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 final putting everything on the table and starting to structure it was the yeah. last two weeks. I think maybe a little bit more. It might but, well, because we did a stage reading five weeks out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there was the initial workshopping, which was you know we got a lot of feedback at the DCA, mm-hmm. and then five weeks out we did another stage reading of a I don't know what draft that was. I was like it was the. 
draft, rough draft. Yeah. yeah, it was the it was the first draft. I mean, we go through so many; it's we can't even put official hard numbers on which draft <laughs> right. we're doing. There's until we get to the end. We actually number back from the final. Yeah, backwards. <laughs> but like the idea of the stage reading is that it's the penultimate draft, yeah. basically. Mm-hmm. That it's it's the draft that we're ready to show to an audience and use the feedback from that day to craft the final, to make the final draft. And I'd say that's probably where everybody gets on board and says, Oh, this is how this thing looks. Mm -hmm. This is how it's supposed to feel. Let's get some audience feedback. They didn't like this. They like this. Let's focus on these and everything, uh, finds its way. And then it's basically fine tuning and puzzle piecing from there. And the audience told us, you know, what songs they really loved the audience becomes such a big part of that for us mm-hmm. in the collaboration is because ultimately another, you know, that thought of if we're trying to build a new audience, um, it's at least the way I feel like it's highly arrogant for me to say, I know what you want and now I'm creating it for you. And now I expect you to pay me for the work that I've done rather than saying, so what do you want to see? And if you tell us what you would be willing to pay to see, I am more than happy to build it for you. Um, and so that's really what we do is ultimately that's going to build our audience as well. You know, if we're, if we're creating works that people who usually don't go see theater will go to see because they have a say in it and they can say, well, this is great, but this doesn't make any sense. You Mm -hmm. know, and they have that ability to tweak work as it's being written. Yeah. It's just, it's a cool experience and hopefully it will catch yeah. interest of people well, who don't usually the, like to go the to the greatest uh, one of the most wonderful experiences is during the show to have an audience member come up and say you actually took my note uh-huh. like well of course it was right. a great idea right <laughs> so it's kind of collaboration squared or trip or whatever yeah. to the third yeah. power yeah. or something because yeah. nobody owns anything and the audience is in there in the fray too yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. well it's obviously a formula that's working really well for you all Thank so you. i'm so grateful to you for coming and talking yeah, about thank it thank you oh, thanks so much